0: I think it's a sense of independence that if you're an avid reader early in life and you can't pick up a book anymore and just read the print, once picking up that book and you're able to read the Braille, it it really does make a difference to a lot of people.
1: From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host,
0: Emily Coleman.
1: Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. TSBVI values our partnerships with blind organizations, and so I'm excited to have ACB of Texas President Peggy Garrett visiting with us today. Peggy shares about their work and the Braille Revival League, both communities that we should all be part of. Hello, everyone. My name is Peggy Garrett
0: and I am currently the immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind of Texas. Um, I reside in Missouri City, which is right side, outside of Houston. And I've been here for about 16 years now.
1: And Peggy, how, uh, how long have you been involved with ACB of Texas? Have you been the whole 16 years or just in the recent years? Oh, yes. My my involvement with ACB of Texas extends for
0: the 16 years that I've been here, but I've been involved with the national organization since 1995. I joined when I was then living in Georgia before I moved to Texas, and I've been involved ever since.
1: And what uh, what was it about ACB that sort of drew you in? You know, it it was a lot
0: of things. Um, When I lost my sight in 1992, I was declared legally blind. I was kind of at a loss and I really didn't know where to go and what to do. I went to vocational rehabilitation there in in Georgia. And in the process of getting my independent living uh, skills training in Atlanta, I learned about the Georgia Council of the Blind, which is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And in 1998, I attended my very first ACB convention, and I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was just uh, amazed to see so many people who were blind and visually impaired doing the things that, that they were doing. And just mingling and talking to them and realizing that there were people there who had been blind since birth, uh, people who lost sight at various stages of their lives. But they were just, I mean, it just amazed me that they were just going and doing and busy. And there were teachers and uh, attorneys and, and just everybody. And I just wanted to be one of them. I wanted to get involved. I wanted to learn as much as I could and basically, everybody uh, was willing to help me, to teach me. They just took me under their wings, and I've been running ever since.
1: <laughs> now, did they did they have a program for, like, new members to hook you up with people so you could stay in touch?
0: Yes. Uh, we had a local chapter, um, which I then lived in Athens. So we had the chapters around the state. And then, of course, that was the, the state organization, uh, which helped state conventions annually, but there were other activities going on in between the annual conventions. And as I got involved, I'm, I'm, I'm the person who's going to ask questions. <laughs> if I don't know the answers, or I'm not sure uh, I ask questions. And because I asked questions, they kind of pulled me in and said, oh, yeah, well, we want you to work over here. And would you get involved in this? And before I knew it, I was just immersed in the organization and they just kind of pulled me along and kept me involved.
1: (laughs) That seems to happen with any kind of like uh, volunteer or, um, you know, any kind of member organization. The people that speak up end up getting all the jobs. (laughs) Uh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Which it's not a bad thing. That's probably a good thing. I've been lucky enough to go to the uh the ACB state convention a couple times. Um can you share a little bit about that event and what takes place there and m- maybe if you know anything about where it's going to be held this year?
0: The ACBT convention is an annual event. We move around the state of Texas in different locations. We do this as a way of helping people to know what uh, help is out there to understand what types of resources are available but mainly we want them to understand that life does not stop because you're blind that we have full lives that we do pretty much everything everybody else does uh Except that we can't drive. They won't let us drive. And sometimes I wonder the way some people drive, <laughs> how much they're seeing. But but seriously, we, we do it um, as a way of, of getting people involved and letting them know what's available. Uh, it's a part of mentoring and, and peer support. We have resources through our sessions. Our sessions cover everything from education, employment, housing, Uh, Just everything, we we invite other organizations and agencies to come in, representatives to present. We have a huge exhibit hall where people can come and have hands-on experience uh, with the latest in technology and things that are available to help them leave more independent lives. We also have interactive sessions where they are able to ask questions, interact with the presenters, and, of course, we do the fun things. We have the tours. We do our lunches and our dinners. And on Friday nights, sometimes we even have a little social get-together and dance and have fun. So it, it's a way of letting people know that even though they've lost their sight, life goes on. And they can still enjoy the things that, they, that they've that they always enjoyed or, in some cases, have experiences they may never have
1: had before. Right. Now, do you have a lot of new members that typically come to the convention every year? Does word get to people pretty well? I I would
0: say yes. Uh, We have seven chapters uh, throughout the state of Texas. We have Beaumont, uh, Austin, El Paso, San Antonio, Houston, of course, Fort Worth, and Dallas. Okay. So those are the seven chapters. Each of them, of course... uh, does outreach in their local communities, and then we also advertise on the ACB radio network. We put ads in local newspapers and on local TV stations and radio stations, just to make sure that the word is is out there as much as possible. On average, in the past, we've had as many as two hundred members in attendance. That's great. Attendance last year was down a little bit. We had like one hundred and forty something. But uh, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. And then, of course, the rising cost makes a difference as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you already have a date and a location for this year?
0: We do. Our 2023 convention is going to be in San Antonio. It's going to be at the Doubletree Hotel. And it the dates are August 24th through the 27th. And we are already full speed ahead working on our sessions and inviting speakers as well as our uh, getting our exhibitors together. So we are already already preparing.
1: Well, that sounds like a great location. I bet you guys get a good turnout at that one.
0: I think we will, too. We haven't been to San Antonio since 2014. We, We rotate around the state. But um, I'm not sure why it's been so long. But we were there in it, we were there in 2014, and we did have a great turnout. Both love the Riverwalk. Yeah, um, just standing and telling you is welcoming, and so we're we're looking forward to having a good group.
1: Now, um, you mentioned uh, earlier a national convention. Do you go to the national convention very often, or have you served on any of their boards or committees?
0: I have attended every ACB national convention since. 1998. Wow. <laughs> Including the two virtual ones in 20 and 2021. Uh, 20, 20, um, like I said, when I went to that first one, they just kind of reeled me in. <laughs> I was just so fascinated. The information sharing there is is absolutely amazing. Uh, there are people there from all over the world. You get to interact and learn so much. I am looking forward to the one this year. Uh, This year we're going to be in Schaumburg, Illinois, and at the end of June, first week of July. Uh, I have never served on a board, on, on the ACB board, but I've been very involved with several of the committees. I've been on the membership committee since 2005. I chaired the Multicultural Affairs Committee from 2003 until 2022. I, I've served on uh, boards of some of the other committees and and the uh, uh, special interest affiliates. So I've, I've, I'm very involved at all three levels. That's
1: great. Yeah i uh, i have I have not been to a national ACB yet, and it's on my bucket list. So hopefully, I'll do that sooner rather than later.
0: Well, the the uh, national convention is going to be back in Texas, and I believe it's 2024. It's either, I believe it's 2025. Don't quote me, okay. but it's within the next two or three years that it will be back in Texas. And I will make sure that you get that information so you can check it out.
1: That'd be great. Now, um, I keep hearing about this Braille Revival League. Can you share a little bit about what that is?
0: The Bra- Braille Revival League of Texas is an affiliate of the National Braille Revival League, which is our na- part of our national organization. And the basic, uh, vision for, mission for that group is to spread awareness about Braille and its importance. Making sure that, well, we advocate a lot because Braille is not being taught as widely as it once was. And we feel that a person who is blind or, or low vision and can't read regular print, that it is just as important for them to learn Braille as it is for anybody else to learn how to read and write. When I was training, uh, because I had enough vision at that time, I did not learn Braille. But what I advocate now is for anyone whose vision is not stable, is deteriorating, Braille is, is, is basically, it's basically, it's fundamental. When you're reading Braille, using your fingers and you feel the words, it is the equivalent of a person seeing the written words on a page. And while audio equipment is wonderful, I read audio books all the time, but nothing takes the place of being able to read words. It, it just makes such a difference the way it impacts uh, your thinking, your psyche, your memory. It is it, just urgent. And the Braille Bible League focuses on uh, advocating for teaching Braille as well as encouraging people who are blind or visually impaired to use it because it has so much value in terms of day-to-day living, learning to broil your items. Uh, I mean, it, it's just irreplaceable. And so that's basically what uh, Braille Revival League does. And yes, we are definitely looking forward to working with the students there at TSBDI, doing some mentoring, Uh, because the earlier that a a person who is blind or visually impaired, especially with children, they're like sponges, and they just absorb information. And giving them information in a Braille format is is invaluable. It's just one of those things that uh, I think the sighted world does not really understand how it impacts people who are blind or visually impaired. And so we strive to make sure that it's out there, that we get it to as many people as possible, and children especially at as early an age as possible. So we're looking forward to uh, bringing some Braille projects and and
1: mentoring uh, the students. You know, one of the things I've noticed with students is how sometimes it's hard to convince them to learn braille if they don't know anybody else that reads braille so i imagine Mm -hmm. it's it makes a huge impact for you to have a mentoring program and they could maybe have like pen pals and and people to reach out to that are using the same uh literacy mode
0: yes definitely and one of the things that i think really makes a difference is something as simple as getting a birthday card in braille a valentine's card a christmas card uh, that lets them know that, hey, you know, you're not the only one. We do this every day and and what I found is that the more people use Braille, the more they use Braille. In the beginning, it's, it's kind of hard and you get used to it. I, I, I chastise myself all the time because I didn't force uh, or, or really pressure when I was in school uh, for my rehabilitation training to learn Braille at that time and the older you get, it's a little bit more difficult. It takes a little bit more time and a lot of patience. Not impossible, but it, it does, it becomes more difficult. So even if a, a child has some vision, if that vision isn't stable, we, we encourage them to learn Braille, their Braille games, their Braille cards, the all kinds of, of educational as well as fun things that they can do. And we're, we're really uh, looking forward to working with them and and encouraging them, just explaining to them and showing them all the different ways that it can, uh, can be used and how it can impact their lives.
1: Have you been able to, um, convince or demonstrate for a lot of adults too, who lose their vision later in life that it's, it's an important skill to pick up?
0: Actually I have, um, after I, I lost my sight, I I went back to school and got my master's in social work, and we started a center uh, training people who were blind or visually impaired, and we had a uh, program for people who were 55 years of old or older, and lost their sight later in life. And what we did was we taught them Braille, and it was amazing to me. we had one lady that just stands out in my mind. She only wanted to know Braille so she could read her Bible. Mm. And she started within the first couple of weeks, it was slow. That lady took off running, and within six months, she was reading her her Bible proficiently. Wow. We had some other people who went a little slower, but yes, there there are people who uh, you know are, are much older who do learn braille and and do well with it. I think it's a sense of independence that if you're an avid reader early in life and lose sight and you can't pick up a book anymore and just read the print, once picking up that book and you're able to read the braille, it, it really does make a difference to a lot of people who are, who are older.
1: And I, I think I remember at one of your conventions, you, um, you borrowed a bunch of brailers from us. Is that? Do you hold like little sessions at the state convention to try to, um, get people hooked on braille that may not have tried to pick it up?
0: We have done that at some of our conventions. Every year we have something braille related um, at our convention. Um, we always have at least one session that the Braille Revival League holds and. We always provide some Braille lesson program uh, and or game during the course of the event.
1: Now, uh, you've already talked quite a bit about the benefits of ACB and getting involved. But if you were to pitch it to our students here, how would you encourage them to become members of ACB Texas?
0: Gosh, I, I would simply start off by saying we are here to assist you in any way that we can. But at the same time, we want to not just mentor you, but we want you to be aware of what life can be uh, as a person who's living with little or no sight. We have people in all areas, just about every field you can think of who's available to encourage, to walk with you, not just to tell you, but to be there to answer your questions, to support you. We have students uh, we have a student organization uh, that basically would would be able to assist students as they are going on to pass graduation to uh, postgraduate school, to college, secondary education. It's not just now, today. It's for now, going forward, that will be here for you and provide whatever assistance you may need. If we don't have uh, the information, we're there to help you to make sure that you get your needs met and that you obtain obtain or reach your goals. So for me, it was, like I said, it was just amazing. Um, and, And I tell people all the time, had it not been for ACB and the mentoring and the support that I got, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know what my life would have been like. And because of that, like me, there are many, many other members whose goal is just to be there to make a difference and that's what we want to do and so you know we, we encourage people to attend our meetings we uh we do several other events other than the national convention we also have a biennial program we do a leadership program for students in ninth through twelfth grade as a matter of fact we have, we're getting ready to hold it uh, in march of this year we do it every other year and basically what we do there is we just provide training for students Uh, We work with them to talk about what their goals are, where they want to go in life. We have uh, social activities as well as uh, leadership training where we talk about community, getting involved in the community that you have just as much right as anybody else to be uh, involved in your community. Just figure out where it is you want to serve, what it is that you want to do and and get involved. Uh, As a part of that, we also take the students on a tour uh, and to the capitol and we usually have someone from one of the senators or representatives offices to come and meet with them. They learn about advocacy, they learn about how bills are processed. So we we, we don't just do the one one area we, we try to let them know that life is filled with many different opportunities and areas and you have the you have the opportunity to, Figure out where it is you fit best. Where's your best fit? What is it that you want to do? And then we assist them with the steps that they need to achieve those goals.
1: Well, that sounds pretty great. I can't imagine not wanting to be a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) How do students get signed up for the leadership program, or how do they find out more?
0: Most of the students come through TWC. If they have an open case, they're they're, uh, counselors we'll let them know about the day send them the application and its students ninth through 12th grades and we follow them even after after that because we also offer annual scholarships each of our chapters offers scholarships and so does acbt at the state level Um, we do scholarships for students who are going on it doesn't matter if they're going to a junior college or a trade school or you know a four-year college if if, if they obtain a certain 3.0 grade average, uh, you know, they're eligible to to qualify for a scholarship.
1: That's great. Well, um, thanks so much for sharing all this good information. And is there anything else you want to add to make sure people know about ACB?
0: Well, i just like to say watch the news, watch your, your email list, uh, listen to Sign into Sound Radio, because we'll also be putting information there about an upcoming event. And as I said, it is going to be in San Antonio in August, August 24th through the 27th. And we'd love to see you all there. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem?
1: They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Introducing our students to blind and deafblind mentors and role models is one of the best things we can do. Peggy and others like her are always welcome to bring them into the fold and support their educational and transitional needs well into adulthood. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.